Welcome to another episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today this podcast episode is sponsored by Big Rents. Big Rents is an online equipment rental company with the largest equipment supply network in the US with 4,000 rental partners and 10,000 locations. They simplify the procurement and logistics challenges of renting construction equipment and are leading the online equipment rental industry by providing a seamless experience for both customers and equipment suppliers. Find out how Big Rents can help increase the rental revenue and utilization today of your rental business. Today, our guest is Brian Peters. Brian has over 20 years experience in the equipment rental industry, first being involved with his family business at the tender age of 13. He would go on to work in various businesses in the West Coast of the US before eventually leaving his family business, Heavy Equipment Rentals of Texas, and going into business for himself as the Managing Director of Advanced Track. I'm very excited to speak to Brian as he started his business at a very challenging time in the middle of 2020. Brian, thank you for coming on the podcast today. To kick things off, can you talk to me about how you got into the equipment rental industry? Well, I was 13 years old, and um, my family started, my stepdad at the time, started an equipment rental business that specialized in heavy earth moving equipment. And so that's kind of where I got my first exposure to the business. And I worked through um, or worked for the company throughout the, my teenage years and basically going into college. Um, and then while I was on breaks during college, I would always come back and and uh, and work for for the business as well. So I got a lot of exposure to the rental business and the, that industry at a at a somewhat young age, and just really fell in love with heavy equipment at that point. And so, is that family business still running today? It is. It is. Yeah. They we originally started in California, uh, moved the business to Texas, and yeah, they're they're still still doing very well here in Central Texas and and actually across Texas. Okay. And so like when you, you said you started when you were like 13 in, in high school, like what was the process? Were you sort of just helping out when you, throughout the, those ages and then were you eventually on the counter or were you like, was it a mechanic or was the sales? Like what was the parts that interested you and how did you get into the business? I think my first exposure was to a cat excavator when I was three. Uh, there was a promotional video that, that my grandma's boyfriend had and he brought it home and, and played it and I was done with any Disney movies at that point. I wanted that played on replay. And so, yeah, so I, that's my, my passion's always been around the equipment. So when I started in the business, my mom was basically picking me up from, from school and taking me to the, to the shop and I'd just steam clean the equipment. That's where it all started for me. Uh, I was on the wash rack and then I kind of graduated a little bit from there, was shown how to grease and lube the equipment. So I would, I'd grease the equipment, get it prepped to, to go out on rent. From there, as I got my driver's license, I started running parts, started shadowing mechanics, and even running pilot cars. You know, in certain states and areas, you've got to run pilot cars to for the wide load. And then towards the end of my high school years, got into a little bit more of the inside sales. We didn't really have like a, a counter per se, because we heavy, you know, very specific heavy equipment. So we didn't have a lot of people who were who were coming in that we were having to deal with, but I started making some, some sales calls, some cold calls and just reaching out to folks and seeing if they had a need for, for our services. And then from there, it turned to, turned to college. And um, I actually went out on a customer's job site. This is um, kind of what directed me to, towards the, the, uh, the path that I chose, but I went out to a customer's job site and they had 
I think four or five of our scrapers on rent and they had, you know, several of their own. They were digging this giant retention pond and I was just watching all the equipment work in unison. And I was like, this is really cool. I, I, I want to be doing this. I want to have made the decision. I want to be on the contracting side of it. So I went to college, um, studied construction management. When I got out of school, went, uh, went to work for a big paving and grading contractor up in the San Francisco Bay Area. And they had, I think at the time I was there, they had a fleet of 24 657s and several 637s, big, big scrapers. So it was, I kind of got my fill of that. I, I just, I loved seeing all that equipment work. Um, although I did get stuck on a paving job, my first job there. So I was a little bummed about that here. I was excited about moving big dirt and uh, got stuck on a paving job. However, now I look back on that and I absolutely loved that experience learning about paving. And I still, every time I smell the smell of fresh asphalt, I'm, I, it takes me back <laughs> several years um, to that experience. So yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of been my experience in the rental business. And then from from that point, my stepdad called me and he said, Hey, you know, there's opportunity for you back in the business. I had no always known that I'd want to, that I'd wanted to work for myself in some capacity. And so I, I kind of viewed this as an opportunity to, you know, potentially get started in that. And so I, I moved back to our hometown and got started back in the business and was doing more outside sales roles, a little bit of dispatch as well. And then that kind of grew into day-to-day -day operations and working very closely with the service department. And again, kind of fueling that, that love for the heavy equipment and that passion for the heavy equipment. So from there, um, kind of knowing that it, again, I came, kind of came to a self-realization where I was, I knew that I wanted to own my own business at some point. And not that I wasn't getting what I needed at, at the rental business. I just felt like I wanted more experience and wanted to go experience something different and then bring it back to the business. But I went to work for um, an oil field service contractor in our area. And uh, our area, there's basically two major industries, agriculture and oil and gas. And both of those industries drove everything else. So drove commercial developments, residential developments, basically all dependent upon those two primary uh, industries. So anyhow, um, I worked for them for, for several years and had a really good friend offer me a vice president of operations job at a private security business. And uh, interestingly enough, I, 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 it was so far off of my radar as far as something I would ever consider doing. But the opportunity that they offered me was to come in and basically learn how they run their small business. And for me, I couldn't, that was an opportunity I couldn't turn down. So I worked for them for a few years my dad called again and said, uh, hey, the business is calling your name. This time it was in Texas. Um, and so my wife and I had kind of identified that we wanted to move out of, out of California and move on to somewhere else. And this was a perfect opportunity and kind of, kind of took me back because I was, I was thinking, you know, I knew that I wanted to start my own business, but this, you know, we, we always kept looking at, you know, the, the capital involved and all the reasons why we shouldn't do it, not, not any of the reasons why we should do it. And so we, we always talked ourselves out of it. And so we felt like this was a good compromise that we would, you know, move to Texas and have opportunity, you know, for ownership down the road. And, and, uh, you know, we wouldn't have to fork out over all this, uh, this capital to get started. And so we did that moved here and just the flame of wanting to do my own thing, uh, never, never burned out. So uh, a couple years in, I 
I talked to my family and I said, Hey, I, I, I love what we're doing here and love where we're headed. But, um, at the end of the day, I've, I, I've have to, if I don't do this, I, I feel like I'm going to live with regrets here and I, I can't do that. So that's when I made the leap to, um, start advanced track. Wow. What a journey. I can't believe you, you left the industry and then you came back as well. That, that would have been an interesting experience. Yeah. Um, like I said, I, I guess I had always just loved being around heavy equipment. And the one thing that I like about the rental industries in particular, and, and now what I'm doing uh, as well, is I'm not limited to like one area of the business or of the of the construction industry, right? I mean, you, you have contractors that do heavy civil construction, you know, build roads and bridges and you have uh, customers who move big dirt job, you know, big dirt jobs, or that's all their whole focus. You have underground utilities, you have demolition. I mean, there's so many different facets of the construction industry that you get to experience through the rental industry because you service all of them. And to me, that that is what is so cool about it. Um, mm. I just, I love that being able to have customers in different areas of the business. Yeah, so we'll get into advanced truck in a second, but like, I'm interested to know where you think the drive to start your own business came from? Because you sort of had this multiple sections within your life where you wanted to start it, then you went into another business, you wanted to start another business. Like this drive to start your own business, was this something that you developed when you were younger or was were your family pushing you to sort of always have that drive? Like what, it's, you obviously got to have that fire in you to, to want to do it as well. Yeah, I think that I think that it was when I was younger. I think when I was a teenager and seeing my, you know, seeing my stepdad start his business and, you know, literally from scratch, right? I mean, um, he started with three motor graders, about three motor graders at a, at a Ritchie Brothers auction sale. And I, I think that's what has always driven me is just the idea that you can start from nothing and build something. You know, my, my, my mom and my grandma always give me a bad time because they said, you know, ever since you've been little, you've always wanted to, it, you know, you'd be given a box of Legos and you'd build it up. And then you'd tear it down and you'd start building something completely different. And so I think, you know, I guess subconsciously, I've always had that yearning to, to build something. You know, like I said, I tried to suppress it several times. I had really good jobs, you know, great paying jobs. And I was talking to my wife yesterday and we were, we were talking about uh, the podcast. And she mentioned, you know, we, we talked in probably 2015 about starting our own business. And we didn't have kids you know, we had a house payment and, um, and that was about it. I think a house payment and a car payment. And we, we sat there and we were like, no way, you know, we, we can't give up these nice things we have and, you know, all these different things. And now we look at it and we're like, well, shoot, we really missed the boat. Uh, because, you know, now it's 2020 when we started in 2021 and, you know, now we have a house payment and two kids and <laughs> two car payments and, you know, the whole deal. So yeah, but we're making it work. So, and I don't think the time is ever right. You know, I, I think that's something that I kept waiting for is for the time to be right. And, you know, whatever right means, right. It's like when people told me about having kids, like the time's never right to have kids. You, you, you it just, it happens and you learn to, um, you know, adapt and, and overcome and, and, and zig and zag. Right. And that's kind of the business uh, as well. Right. We've, we've done the exact same thing. It, it was, we just, we knew that it was something we needed to do and uh, that we wanted to experience and, um, that's what, that's kind of what kept pushing us and pushing us. And to the point now where, you know, we started the business and are running full steam ahead. 
Wow. And I guess like if you've got that passion and let's say it gets 20 down, 20 years down the track and you didn't give it a crack and try and start your own business, then you're always going to be looking back saying, oh, what if, or I could have done this and all that sort of stuff. So you don't want to leave it on the table. I think that's like, you got to live here. Yeah? Like if you want to do it, you just got to jump in. And then like, if it doesn't work out, then you can always get another job. Like it's, it's not like your life's yeah. going to end as well. So I think that's, that's part of the, that, all the negative things, like all the reasons not to do it, I think you got to block them out sometimes and just realize, well, it's a risk, but it's a risk worth taking because I want to live my life. Like I want to enjoy what I yeah. love doing. I, I definitely suffer from uh, uh, paralysis from over analysis at times. And uh, this has always been something that, that I've struggled with. I, I'm just very analytical mindset and, you know, I consider all different aspects. And uh, while that can be very good at times, it can also uh it can put up some roadblocks, right? When you're, when you're thinking of all the negatives and, and you're absolutely correct. I mean, we, I think that was the turning point for us as we, we looked at each other and we're like, we're, it's not like we're not marketable. If this doesn't happen, you know, we, we lose the, our money in our savings account and uh, you know, that's what we're gambling with here. And, uh, and it, we go get jobs and we start over, you know? So um, I, it took us a while to kind of get to that point where we were okay taking that risk, but we finally made it there. <laughs> awesome. So I guess like you really are a startup. So, and I haven't really spoke to many startups on the podcast. So I want to really lean into this one. So talk me through like COVID hit March. Like when did you start your business and like, how did you prepare to start your business? We filed our, um, our corporate papers in July of 2020, kind of preparing for it. We, we went through a cycle of trying to decide what we wanted to do. Well, like I said, I was very passionate about heavy equipment. So I knew whatever I wanted to do, I wanted it to be driven around heavier swimming equipment and kind of the natural desire for me was to do rental because that's what I grew up around. And, um, and it is an industry I love what we knew it was going to do is pull us away from Texas because I, you know, very clearly did not want to compete with my family's business. And so we, you know, we kind of analyzed different areas of the country and, you know, what areas are doing well right now. And, and we probably, I think we narrowed it down to three or four major uh, metros that we, that we liked and would consider moving to. And then, you know, COVID hit, um, so we made this determination back in January of 2020 that this is what we wanted to do. We, we, we decided in March, you know, kind of narrowed down our list. And from there, um, started making plans to visit. And obviously with COVID, my wife was, was pregnant. So we were taking it somewhat seriously at the beginning where, you know, no travel and, and uh, trying not to be around other folks that had traveled, et cetera. Because we just, I guess, no one really knew what the effects were, you know, what, you know, what were the symptoms, et cetera. So that kind of led us down this path of looking at different areas. And we decided, we decided that we wanted to stay in Texas. And so that became, all right, now, how do we shift the business? Because we know we can't do rentals or don't want to do rentals um, to avoid competing. So now what are we going to do? Um, and I, again, knew that I wanted to stay around heavy equipment. Um, and so I started thinking about, I was actually doing a lot of buying and selling for the business. I was, you know, reviewing purchase agreements and just kind of being involved in that entire process. And I really did enjoy that as well. And I figured, well, that's a way that I can continue to, you know, have 
customers that are from all walks of, uh, of life and, and um, backgrounds in different areas of the, the construction industry. Um, it's to buy and sell equipment, broker it, right? Consign and source it for, for uh, customers as well. So that was kind of a, it, it was about, I mean, it was a 10 month journey from basically the time we decided that we wanted to do this and step out on our own to the time that we were actually, you know, set up and the business was actually running. Yeah, so there's a lot of preparation there. I think that's probably one of the key things to making sure it's successful as well, not just deciding next month we're going to start a business. I, I mean, I've definitely heard that people do it both ways, you know, and like, like I said earlier, we, we, you know, my wife and I both are a little bit more analytical. So we were trying to figure out, okay, if we do this, you know, what, you know, how's it going to look? We put together a business plan for the rental business and, and for the brokering business as well. Um, and I think, you know, that I think that business plan has been shared with like three or four people um, and a couple of different banks. But for us, where the value really uh, came in was for us to kind of charted uh, a little bit of a path uh, for how we want the business to go and, you know, where we see it going, et cetera. Mm, okay. All right. Well, maybe for the listeners, do you want to ex- explain exactly what is Advanced Track and what are the services that you provide? Yeah, um, advanced track equipment basically focuses in two um, areas. We we buy, sell, broker, um, which basically means consign or or source equipment um, for for folks. And essentially, that side of the business is all driven towards connecting buyers and sellers of heavy earth moving equipment. Um, and that's pretty self-explanatory, right? I mean, it's similar to real estate. Um, get paid either a commission or you know, it's an opportunity to buy, maybe you're, you know, buying below market and selling at market or, you know, however you're making money there. And then the other side of our business is, is consulting. So um, another, a lot of experience that I've had over the years has kind of been on fleet management, utilization, et cetera. And so translating that to contractors has been, um, has been a really good tool as well. And so that's another area of our business where, where we're focused is, is consulting. So all basically around equipment management. And we've done everything from designing an entire equipment department um, to write and writing job descriptions to showing folks how to calculate cost of ownership. So it's uh, the, those are kind of the, the two areas that we're focused now. And I think ideally as the business grows, you know, you kind of, you kind of have to adapt when you're starting up, right? Cause you're, you're looking for opportunities to make money and, and make sure your revenues are there every month. So I, I think as the business grows, hopefully we'll get to a point where we can step into more, some more like active uh, fleet management type work where it's not necessarily like a onesie twosie consulting. It's, it's more of an ongoing, um, you know, an ongoing deal. Mm. And I think if you are providing these consulting services and you're giving them value and you're doing it to multiple clients, like you're building up rapport amongst all these clients as well. And so it's almost like multiple backups in a way. Like it's like, all right, well, I know that Brian served me good. He's looking for work. All right, we know that there's something here. And so I think naturally you're going to build up more of a pipeline just in the background by just providing these services. So that's what I love about consulting. Yeah, um, I think you absolutely think you're 100% correct. It, it, I've already seen that to a degree uh, where some of our customers have said, hey, um, I know we weren't going to have you find us equipment because we have good relationships with these couple of dealerships, but we're thinking about buying this. Can you help us? And then, you know, we're able to step in and, and show them what we can do. And, and that's been, 
that's been uh, really good to to be able to have that. And quite honestly, that's how we were able to get our start too, is we had some really good relationships with, with a few different contractors and they were, I went to them and said, Hey, here's, here's what I'm doing. Are you willing to give me a shot? And they said, heck yeah. So I, I think, you know, obviously to, to start a business, you, you've got to, you know, you've got to be able to uh, foster those relationships and just, you know, um, and I, I've always been that type of person anyways, I've always been a very outgoing and you know, wanting to, to get to know you and know your story and understand your business, et cetera. So I, I feel like those relationships have, uh, have really, you know, panned out now. Mm, that's good. So maybe do you want to talk about some of like, what, what is the different various types of machines that you sort of supplied so far? Like, are we talking like, like how big are we going in terms of uh, machines? Yeah. So, um, well, I, I don't, I don't want to put a limit on it. Uh, <laughs> um, I guess for me, I'm focused primarily on earth moving equipment because that's where my experience has been. So um, a lot of cat, a lot of John Deere, uh, Volvo, Komatsu, um, and, and specifically, you know, larger excavators uh, has been what we've, larger excavators and dozers is what we've been focused on now. But yeah, I, I've got a customer right now. It's got me looking for a skid steer. I've got another customer that um, has me on the lookout for a cat 349 size excavator. So I, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't stop. Um, I don't want to put a cap on it. I, I actually, one of the first calls that I ever received um, was for a guy who was looking for a 988 K loader. And I was like, I've never, I've never been around a 988 K. So um, it was just interesting that, you know, the way that it, that it came up. And um, so, yeah, I'm not putting a size limit on it, but I am sticking to that earth moving equipment side. I've had a few folks reach out to me about farm equipment and, if it was something I understood and knew more of, I would probably, you know, jump, jump in head first, but, uh, but just not knowing about it, it, for me, it's, it's kind of one of those things. I just, I don't feel comfortable selling something that I don't, that I don't know and can't, you know, can't back, back up myself. Yeah. I was going to ask that. So like a lot of these machines, you obviously have a lot of experience with the machinery as well. And so when, when a buyer comes to you and says, I'm looking for this, are you also basically figuring out what job it's for as well, just sort of giving him advice or is it purely just a relationship where he's requested something and then you go seek it through your connections? Like what's that interaction like? So because a lot of the the customers that I've had starting out are, you know, um, I, I would call them friends really. I mean, they're, they're, they're relationships that have, that have, uh, you know, bloomed into friendships, if you will. Um, so because of that, I, you know, I feel comfortable enough asking their questions, right? What are, what are you using it for? How come you need that size or what, you know, and start walking through those. And I guess in some cases, I've probably talked myself out of some business um, just because at the end of the day, though, you want to do what's right for the customer. Right. And, and you don't want to you don't want them to make a, a significant capital uh, purchase if they don't have to. Um and so I, I think there was a customer who needed uh, an excavator for like a three month job. And, you know, he thought that he had more work down the pipeline. So he was thinking about buying and, you know, we ended up kind of hashing it out and he decided to rent um, at the end of the day. So, I, you know, I probably talked myself out of it there, but at the same time, again, I, I you know, you're trying to do what's best for the customer. Um, but yeah, I, I want to have those conversations so that it's not just a transactional experience. Mm -hmm. I, I don't want it to be a transactional experience for me or for, for the customer. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely the key, like adding that value add to each engagement that you have with the, yeah. the clients. 
Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that business evolves because I think, as you said, the more you work on it, other things are going to pop up and then eventually you can sort of pivot into other areas uh, and grow it as needed. But I think the first step you've taken, which is starting the business and, and working on it, which is obviously a great achievement. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see where, um, I mean, even just in three months, how our business is kind of adapted. It'll be interested to see, um, you know, where that leads down the road. Yeah, and I think like, I haven't had a startup, so I can't talk to this, but I feel like if you, once the business starts and you know you need to bring in revenue, like it almost makes the wheels start turning, like uh, forcing you to find that revenue or forcing you to find that client. Like, is that something that like naturally comes when you do have that startup and, and like the, the passion really comes through on knowing that you need to do this to make this business work. Otherwise you're going back to uh, what you're doing before, I guess. Well, not that that's a bad thing, I guess. Yeah, I, I definitely don't think that's a bad thing, but I, I guess the way I look at it is I don't give myself an option. You know, I don't I don't give myself a plan B, right? My my plan A is this business and it's my entire focus right now. Um, and so I, I think when I was actually listening to another podcast, it's a leadership podcast, and they had um, they had a CEO from, he's not the CEO of Walmart, but he's the vice president there, but he was the CEO of a business that Walmart bought. And he went into his first, um, pitch, you know, to get, um, investment seed money. And, um, the bank's like, why is your owner's equity $93,000, 200 or $93,286 It's some very precise number. And he's like, because that is every single dollar that I own, right? It's every single dollar that I have to put into this business. And to me, I kind of have felt the same way is that I'm putting everything I have into the business and I'm not giving myself you know, the safety net or, or option to, um, you know, to, that if it doesn't work, then we'll just do this. Right. And I mean, I think in the back of the, of my mind, I subconsciously have that safety net, um, just, you know, knowing that it's there, but, um, but it, it's just kind of blocking that out and, and just being so focused on this right now. And, and you're right. And um, when you, when you know that you need revenue every month and you're looking for every single opportunity, I'm, I'm working with a guy who, I mean, I didn't think I'd get into selling buckets or anything like that, but a guy called and he said he wanted to sell some buckets and I knew a guy who might need some buckets. So it's like, all right, let's make a deal. Um, you know, you just, you look for those areas anywhere you can. And, um, and, and I think that's, I think you're exactly right. You know, you're, you're, you're just finding those opportunities and, and, you know, obviously they've got to be the right opportunities. Um, you know, I, I don't want them to, to be something as unethical or anything like that, but I mean, assuming it's a, it's a good deal and it makes sense for everyone, then yeah, you got to jump on it and get that money flowing in every month. And then, so how have you seen COVID affect the the market over the last few months then? Cause you really started the business in like the, the probably one of the more challenging years. So like, how has that sort of affected the business? Yeah, I've had a few people tell me I'm absolutely nuts to start it, but um, it, it, I guess for me, I figure if I can make it in the year of 2020 and what sounds like the beginning of 2021, um, then I feel like I can, you know, I'll make any year happen. Um, so on one side, I'm trying to channel that negative into a positive and, and, and use it as a, to see opportunity instead of see all the negativity around us. As far as how COVID's affected the industry. I, I feel like in in March, 
you saw um, a lot of unknowns, you know, and a lot of unknowns with how our owners going to react with their businesses. Um, how are project owners going to, are they going to continue construction? Or are they going to shut things down? Is there, and I think up until about the midway through June, July, you really saw a bunch of people who they, they just didn't know what their businesses were going to look like. Um, but then things kind of started, some owners got comfortable. I think that was the same time when there was some government relief with, uh, for small businesses with the, the PPP and, um, uh, the government stimulus checks that came out. So I think at that point, you started to see some faith being restored in the economy. And then towards the end of this year, or the end of, of last year, 2020, there's, you know, obviously a lot of growth um, in, in the American economy. Um, and a lot of that uncertainty was kind of wiped away. Uh, and I think that, that, you know, I think if you go back and study history, the the changing of a guard when it comes to the the, the presidency, that administration, it, it's always it, it always drives the stock market up. And I think there's a lot more. Um, I, I think there's a lot more certainty, I guess, with with regards to the economy. Um, I think there's a lot less certainty with regards to some of the more social, um, you know, policies, et cetera. But mm. as far as COVID and, and construction at least here in Texas, I think the, the effects have been, it have been somewhat minimal. I think there's been other, there's been other companies that have been hit harder, um, you know, uh, but I, I think for the most part, at least here in Texas, we've seen a pretty, pretty steady, pretty, pretty steady market over the last year. Yeah. It was just lucky you didn't move back to California. Yeah. Uh, it was on the table at one point And, uh, and I, I, <laughs> I think it was on the table for about 35 seconds and uh, <laughs> we thought about it and we quickly scratched it off our list again. <laughs> yeah, it'd be a tough place to be at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. That's crazy. All right. Well, um, back to the equipment mental side. So over your, over your experience, like sort of getting exposed, as you said, from a three-year-old and then working in the business from a teenager and then in the business and what you explained just before, like, how have you seen the equipment rental industry like evolve and change over those years? I would say from my vantage point, I would say the biggest thing that has changed has been the infusion of technology. Um, you know, when the business started, you know, my dad was running 140 G motor graders. Um, and now you look at it and it's all, GPS machine control. And that's, and it's not because that's what's new and cool. It's because that's what customers are asking for when they're calling. And so to me, I think that's really um, exciting to see about it from, from an industry perspective is that there's a lot more technology being infused and starting to see it on graders and excavators. And uh, even we had some scrapers that, that were running GPS equipment. So I think the infusion of that technology has been exciting. Um, and I think that technology goes from not just the, that GPS side, the, the machine control side, but also telematics. I think customers want something that's, um, they want a relationship that's slightly more transparent with, with their rental vendors. You know, they want to know, hey, how much am I utilizing this machine? Because they're tracking it on their own equipment. Um, and so there, I, I think there have been a few customers that were asking for telematics access and so forth. So I think those types of, um, you know, those types of technologies that have been in, in, infused in the business a, a long time on a fleet management side of things are now being, you know, um, 
kind of passed down to the rental industry and, and something that, that folks are looking for when they're making that call to, to rent a piece of equipment. Um, that's where I, I see a lot of the change. And another area I see change is I think, I think businesses or contractors are also looking at rental in two different ways, right? They look at, there's, there's the folks that are out there that they don't care, that all they care about is the low cost. They don't care if it's a cat. They don't care if it's, uh, you know, another brand machine. They don't care what it is. They just need, know they need it and they need it out there now and they're going to use it till they don't, right? And then there's other contractors that truly are looking for partnerships when it comes to their vendors for rental, right? They, when they, when they have a need, it's urgent and they want a company that can service them. They know they may not pay, you know, the lowest dollar, but they're going to get excellent service. They're going to maximize their uptime. And I think, Finding those customers is um, is is getting a little bit easier because there's more folks that want that and are valuing that partnerships. And I, I think that's a generational thing, in my opinion. It, you start to see a lot of the you know the younger generation kind of coming in, and they're very they're very social. They want to have friendships and and relationships with everyone around them, whether it's a customer or an employee or whatnot. And so, to me, I think that's that's probably a little bit of the push toward towards that. And that's a good thing for rental, in, in my in my opinion, because you know you're you're not you're not being so price driven. Um, and you know, I, I heard on I forget who it was on your podcast before, but they were talking about how when you start cutting rates, it's just a it's literally a race to the bottom. And so I, I think that that's a good thing to avoid, right? And and it's really interesting in Texas because. You've got Austin is kind of situated, you know, if you if you drew a triangle from Dallas to San Antonio to, to Houston and kind of drew a triangle between those three cities, um, you know, Austin kind of lands somewhere in the middle there. And what's so interesting to me is if you look at the rates in those Metroplex areas, there are a lot more vendors there. Right. And the rates are so much less in those areas. And um and that that it's concerning to me that you know those contractors in those areas they don't i guess maybe in some way they can the companies have been forced to to reduce their rates even though they do provide excellent service i i don't know we you know we at the time we weren't we were doing a lot of work in san antonio and austin but you know not so much in houston and dallas so i i don't know exactly what that looks like but um it's just kind of interesting to see how much less the rates are in some of those other areas um in a state that you know i mean you can have a machine from austin to dallas in three hours i think discounting is just a dangerous mechanism to ruin your business like especially if you've got high finance and i've there was a company in australia uh probably eight years ago or so but uh, that they were known for just getting their their scissor lifts on site. It didn't matter how they needed to do it. All they wanted to do was flood the market and have their brand out there. And they were known for putting the equipment out for for um the rental rate was actually lower than the actual repayments on the machine. Yeah. And it's like no one's going to win here because like the the rental rates is meant to cover the cost of running the business. So right. like if you're putting it out for less than just the finance payment. Like, how does that make sense? So I think yeah. as time goes on, I hopefully more people get real um, aware of that. But that also concerns me a little bit around, uh, I've seen in Australia a lot, these zero interest opportunities with so many of these yeah. OEMs. And it's like, it, there's cost somewhere. Like it's, 
there's costs somewhere. Like someone's going to get bit eventually. Like, so I'm just not sure, I guess, have you, what's your experience with that zero interest and in, in buying on that, those terms? <clears throat> On the, on the bigger equipment, we don't see it much, right? Um, and so we, you know, we've, the, my family's business was, it was focused on that medium size line, right? So um, 950 size loaders and up and, and, and like three, 325 size excavators and up. So I think from that perspective, you know, the OEMs aren't, aren't just dishing out 0% on those, but I think when you get down to like skid steers and mini excavators and so forth, I mean, you're seeing that all the time. I mean, I think Bobcat runs a like constant 0% for 48 or 0% for 60. And, uh, and yeah, you're right. I mean, it, you know, it costs money, right? I mean, there's a, it's an incentive for a reason, right? You're, you're reducing the cost. Um, so you know that there's, that there is cost somewhere there. Um, and, and I think that that definitely makes it um, a challenge if you're out there trying to rent a skid steer and you're competing, not only are you competing with the dealership um, on their rental side, but you're also competing with the dealership on their sales side because someone can go potentially rent a piece of equipment or a, I'm sorry, purchase a piece of equipment, finance it for less than what they can rent it for. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that's... Yeah, I think you're you're right. Is the more that they discount and discount, you're just it, it, it's not just about ruining your business too. You're you're really starting to lower the bar in the industry, and uh, and that's forced people to bring in, in my opinion, and and I know I'll probably catch flack for this, but bring in subpar brands too, right? And and then set, try to sell them as the same thing that you know. It's like I love seeing people who have different. I'm not going to mention their names, but different manufacturers of uh, of like a 336 size. Um, excavator and then they want to say that it it competes with it it's like well no it doesn't like it doesn't have the power it does it doesn't have you know and the, the, the list is long as to why it doesn't compete so um i think in those uh i think that's what you start seeing those folks that are in the rental business they're looking for ways to maximize their return as well right and and if they can't do it by having you know expensive uh, you know, more expensive equipment and they can go save 30 or, or 40% off first cost, they're going to go do that. Right. Mm. And, um, and so that to me, I think is, is a negative for sure. Um, it, it kind of in the price game. Yeah. I also think that like, if you're constantly discounting, you're eventually going to lower your service that you're providing to that customer. So let's say that there's a breakdown and you've cut three heads in service because you don't want to pay those techs. And so you can't respond to that breakdown for an extra day or two or whatever it might be. Then that customer leaves you because you're not providing them the service. Like it, it, it's just like a full circle. Like it's, you can't it, sort of get it out is. of it. Yeah. It's at some point you'd have to make adjustments, right? I mean, it, at some point you would have to, and, and right. I think, you know, you start looking at the service department or, you know, are you looking at sales or what, I mean, what do you, what do you start looking at? I mean, what area of your business is going to suffer in order to make up for the lower rates? Cause um, you know, like you said, you have to recuperate the cost to run the business. And if your if your revenues are now 20% lower, cause you've had to cut your rates, you know, that that's got to come somewhere out of the business. Mm. And I think, as you mentioned before, the more that, that telematics plays a part in the picture as well, the more, I guess the customer has a, uh, better aware of what's going on with the machine and, and lots sort of stuff as well. And, and I, I can definitely see this coming where if you've got telematics on your, your, even your, your, your delivery trucks, better planning for your deliveries and your pickups. And so you can provide like better um, accurate 
delivery and pickup times, or maybe you might provide better accurate uh, service uh, times for when you're actually going to be on site. Like, and adding those value things like goes a lot further than just discounting to win the rental. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's slowly shifting. And then the other thing that I thought of when you mentioned it before was the younger generation. I've heard this a few times, like the, the changing of the guard, like, the, the generations are moving through these rental businesses where some of these people are slowly starting to retire or planning their retirement. And the next generation is coming through, whether it's in a family business or whether it's someone that just like yourself, Ned wants to go on another business. And you're going to have that mentality where you want to improve things, build relationships and, and not just always run it like, I guess, the old days as well. And I think like the example I always use is imagine like someone coming out of college like surrounded by social media, their iPhone, their laptop, their iPads, and they go to a rental business and they have to use a green screen. Like, mm-hmm. like the, the reaction would be insane. Like it, it, yeah. it, it, it's, it's crazy that it can still be an option. So uh, it, 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 it's going to change. It's, I, I think you're absolutely right. It has to change um, because it's, it's one of those things where, yeah, there's so many aspects of the business that are behind. Right. And, um, and, and yeah, I, I look at what, you know, it, it's funny because we try, we've tried to hire, um, you know, younger people. And, and one challenge that we've had is we were competing with, you know, Google out there and, and Apple and they're all, you know, throwing keggers on, on Friday night, you know, at the, at the office. And it's like, well, we work in construction and you're driving a company truck. Like you can't do that here. Uh, but it's, it's, it's all of those different mentalities that exist in the in the workplace that these companies are having to and and really truthfully the rental industry is having to compete with now and and so you know i think it takes a certain someone to to work in the industry and understand um you know and and have the the desire to be around the equipment and so forth so if you find that you know you want to make sure that um you're fostering that and 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 building them up and and giving them opportunities to succeed so um, yeah, it's, I think over time it will change. I think it's, it's just a question of, of how long it takes to get there and, you know, what softwares exist out there and, and, and that are going to help change the, the, the landscape of it as well. And I, and I think you're starting to see more businesses get involved in social media and, and try to have a presence there and, you know, promote their folks using it. Um, I, I think, uh, one of the companies I worked for in the past, you know, we were, social media was was on the scene and and was a prevalent part of most people's daily lives not quite to the point that it is today but um it was getting there and the first thing they do is release this giant lawyer drawn up document that we all have to sign that says you will not ever take pictures on our job sites or mention us in any posts or anything like that and it's like are are you you're you're hurting your business like it <laughs> you know you're you're actually you're actually taking a stab at your own business by putting something out there like that, you know, and and I get it. They want to control the message, right? They want to control anything that's ever said about them, but if you're doing the right thing, why, why are you worried about it? Right. And I think that's the, that's the thing that, um, that people need to kind of back away from and realize that it's a part of our lives. Let's not figure out how to change that or how to, you know, go backwards. Let's figure out how do we embrace it and, and, and utilize it to as a tool, um, you know, that we can use to our advantage. Mm, no, for sure. And I think the social media side, have you ever heard of a company? I always get the name wrong. I think build wit media company. 
You've heard of like, yes. Aaron, Aaron Witt. Do you, have you heard of Aaron Witt? Yes. Um, he takes yeah, photos and, and, and they've got a website designer and like they, their team, lots of stuff. Their photos are unbelievable. Like the, the photos that they take and like, I don't even look at half the websites that they make. I just look at the photos and I think like, this is just creating a following just by the social media of what they actually uh, document on job sites. And it's like yeah. any company yeah. can do that. Like any company. It's just a matter of like giving someone a camera and saying, go take great photos. Uh, yeah, I, I know Aaron personally, and um, we actually used his services a few years ago um, to help with, with, with our business. And um, yeah, he's, it, you're exactly right. I mean, it, it's, it is kind of grown into a little bit of a cult following, um, but he, he's doing a really good thing for an industry that needs exposure and and it needs exposure for a few reasons right it doesn't just need exposure because people want to grow their businesses um i mean if you start boiling that down what do you need to grow your business we need people you need opportunities um and that's where he's trying to to shed light on what this industry does and you know what does moving dirt even look like for people right i mean he's got one company that does you know, trenchless, trenchless boring, and you know they do tunneling, and they do all different types of uh, of work like that, and and not small stuff, but big stuff, right? And so, you know, you're you're shedding light on the folks that work in that industry, you're shedding light on folks that work in underground utilities, and and um and and big dirt moving. So I I think for me, and and for you know kind of the next generation coming through, they want to be exposed to that, and. Uh, and this industry does need to do a better job. And I don't mean just specifically rental. I mean, construction in general. I think construction in general needs to do a better job of getting in front of kids at a younger age, you know, in the in the high school um, time when they're, you know, when they are trying to figure out, hey, what am I going to do with my life? You know, I got stuck on a job site, you know, when I was, I think, 17 or 16 years old, running parts to a mechanic for a scraper that was down. And I was just sitting there as we were unloading the the parts out of the back of the truck and just watching this equipment just run around and around and around making all these different passes and to me i was like this is awesome right <laughs> and i think more kids if they were given an opportunity to be around it would choose that too um but we haven't done a good job of of getting folks in front of in, in front of kids to to explain it or getting them out on job sites when i was in college you know, I studied construction management and there was a huge emphasis of college I went to on residential and commercial construction. And I was there during the 2004, five, six boom, right? So, I mean, naturally residential construction was just insane in the United States at that time. There was, I think we took one class on um, like very structural concrete outside of like foundation, you know, like a house foundation type stuff. And we took one class on heavy civil construction. And, um, and, and you, you think about that. And, and so we, we had this little group of students and we decided we were going to take them to, um, you know, experience different things every, every quarter, right? So we had this field trip and a, a, co a construction company would sponsor it. And so I was interning with um, a large construction company at the time. And I went to my project manager and I said, hey, would you guys ever be interested in sponsoring this? And I actually went to my stepdad and said, hey, would you be interested in sponsoring this? And he's like, yeah, let's let's bring everyone over to, to the shop. Let's um, show them the equipment. So we actually set up these like little in the back of our yard, set up these little test areas and let people run excavators that had never sat in an excavator, been around it. And you see people's you know faces and it's just, 
an incredible, um, it, it, you know, it's an incredible experience for them. And I, again, I think if we, if we could do that more, you know, and drive more folks to this industry, I think we'd all be better off. Mm, maybe they need to start doing like school excursions to Conexpo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I, I, actually, one of the opening things for me was I'd never seen like multiple uh, excavators and various machines working off the GPS and sort of maneuvering around a job site. And they had it set up at Conexpo in one area where they were sort of um, moving around. And it was just unbelievable. Like, I, I was like, this is, this looks like dodging cars. Like, this is just the fact that it's, <laughs> it's, it's like they're digging things, moving things around. They're so big. Like, it's, it's, a, it's an unbelievable sight to see. And I think, yeah, the more people that can get exposed to it at a younger age, I think it's only going to be better. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, look, you've obviously been through a lot in terms of like your career and starting a business and stuff like that. But if you could give some like advice to your younger self, what would you say? You know, if I had to go back and and uh, and tell myself something, I think I would I, I would say a couple of things. And one would be don't compromise. Um, you know, compromising on what you want, whether it's whether it's a business or whatever it is, don't compromise on what you want, and um, and don't wait until the time is right. Yeah, I mentioned that earlier, but you know, I. I when I was 25, I knew that I wanted to do something in this industry, you know, and, and now we're almost 10 years later and, and here I am doing it, but it, it took a while to get there because I kept waiting for the right time. And I, I as I mentioned, I just don't ever feel like the time is ever going to be perfect. You know, all the stars are going to line up exactly the way you need them to, to do it. At some point it's going to require a leap of faith. So if I had to go back and, and tell myself anything, it'd be those two things, not to compromise and, and don't wait until it's perfect timing. Yeah, I, I can't agree more. I think most people have had that, that I guess, the fork in the road where they could have taken the more challenging, risky opportunity and they're sort of backed up and, and taken the easier route. But in the end, like you only learn and through those mistakes or those pain points uh, to really get better. And then, so obviously look at the, the family business and other businesses as well. Like was there various mentors that sort of helped you learn over this time as well? There's been one guy in particular, I mean, obviously family, you know, has that natural, you know, want to kind of help you grow and, and, and succeed, et cetera. But um, outside of that, there's been one individual in particular who um, we, my wife and I uh, went to church with and uh, we just, he's a small business owner and he's a, actually an eye surgeon and he, uh, he, so completely unrelated. It's always fun to get into conversations about equipment because he's like, now what, what does that do exactly? Um, but he's just, his mindset on the way he looks at business and the way he looks at people. And, and um, it, it's just something that I've never really seen before and never been exposed to. So I've really uh, enjoyed allowing him to, you know, kind of be my mentor and, and, and help me kind of chart my path forward and, and, kind of sculpt the business and, and try to start a culture. And, and he's turned me on to a couple of different books and then that's grown to one thing or another. So um, <clears throat> he's really been a, a big, um, big part of that, uh, of that for me. And then I, I've got a couple of friends who were right around the same age and um, one of them started a business, the other one took over a business. And, and so the three of us, even though I, I don't, I don't know that we could call each other mentors, but we kind of, we kind of bounce 
uh, not kind of, we bounce a lot of stuff off of one another on a regular basis. And now we, you know, we've, we've got a regular scheduled phone call and we just literally utilize it as a time to say, Hey, here's what I'm dealing with. How would you handle it? And, and, uh, and, and kind of get their opinion. So it's, those are, I would say those, uh, those three folks and it have been huge in my life, my, my mentor and then a couple of my really good friends who've kind of um, helped me chart my path to where I'm at today. Yeah. I think when you, your, your friends are achieving things, like it almost gives you that, that energy to like, not match them, but like follow them as well. Um, and with it was a family or a friend or a colleague or whatever it is, like if someone's like giving you that healthy competition, it's always going to be good for you uh, in your career and your personal life. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I think I've, I hear all the time that you're supposed to surround yourself with folks that, you know, you want what they want and, and, um, and they're as driven as you are, or if not more, right? And and uh, and to me, that's what I've tried to do with those folks as well. Is you know, they're a lot better at me than uh, on quite a few fronts, and uh, it's nice for me to be able to have those folks to to lean on and, and learn from. Mm, that's good. And then I guess like, how do you define success? And then like I guess probably the defining moment would have been you starting your own business, but like. Like, it'd be interesting to understand like what, how you value success. Yeah. Um, for me, success is like you said, it's not money because I mean, there's a, a lot of other ways to make money um, and pr probably a lot faster than what I'm doing it now. Um, but for me really is providing for people. And um, I, 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 and I don't know that I'll ever attain, you know, I, I don't know that I'll ever get a point where I feel like I've made it <laughs> because, you know, your circle changes and, um, but uh, when I say providing for people, I mean, providing for, you know, our employees for, um, you know, our shareholders, you know, our investors, our vendors, all the people around us, I feel everyone has their own mission and they're all working on something and working towards something. And I just want to help them achieve that in whichever way that I can. And if that's paying vendors every 30 days, if that's, you know, um, giving employees different benefits that they wouldn't get anywhere else. Um, it, whatever that is, um, that's how I want to be able to provide for people and how, um, I view success and, and in, in my mind is, is utilizing something, a skill set that I feel I've been given and, uh, you know, use it for a, a greater good and, and pass it down or pass it on. Yeah, that's really good. Then I guess that's a healthy mindset as well. Like if, uh, if more people in the world thought like that, I think the world would be a better place. I, I uh, it's. You know, I've I've constantly wondered because so many other people are like, hey, don't 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 fall in love with this, that, or the other thing. You know, fall in love with the money, and it's like for me, um, the money is 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 a tool to to help us grow and help us get places and and so forth. But it's really all that it is um, is just a tool, and uh, and and you know that that money isn't going to buy anyone's happiness or you know um, I heard the the uh analogy the other day that you know you can go buy your kid a toy right but you can't buy your kid the time that you take to to play with them or or her and you know show them how to put, use that toy or whatever right and um to me i think that's that there's a big difference there right the, the tool the money is the tool to buy the toy but the, the what you're really what you're really going after there is the time that you're able to spend with your kids so um yeah that's that's kind of my view on it is is when it comes to success i i want to help uh, provide for folks and, and help get them moving towards the goals that they have and, and achieving those.
Well, it's a little bit like it's a little cliche, I guess. But like, like I guess it's more of a journey. Like if you're if you're setting these goals, let's just say hypothetically, your goal is to buy a house and to earn two hundred thousand dollars a year, and then you get there, like you have this expectation that life life's going to be perfect when you get there, and and everything's just going to be easy from that point onwards. And then I think a lot of people get there, and and it's it's a pretty lonely, empty place because they've shut everyone else out just to get what they think they want and they get there and it's actually made themselves, I guess, uh, separate from everyone else in, in a way. I agree 100%. Um, I've seen folks do it and you're absolutely right. It's when, when that becomes your sole focus. And, and the other thing is, and there's all these other studies out there. I'm reading a book right now that talks about, you know, uh, the different chemicals in our brains and the different hits that we get off certain things and making money is one of those. Like we set this goal of, Hey, I'm going to make this, I'm going to make a hundred thousand dollars or $200,000 or whatever that number is. And then you do it and you get the hit. Uh, it's a dopamine hit, right? So you, you get that hit and it, and it, it fuels that addiction to wanting the next thing, but it's such a short lived experience, right? It's a short lived um, hit a feel good, if you will. Right. Um, and so for me, I, yeah, I have seen so many people get addicted to that. And then they, like you just said, they shut everyone around them out and, uh, that's their only focus. And, you know, um, and it's, it's sad to, to see folks, you know, kind of take that turn. Mm, yeah. All right. Well, look, I really wish you luck with the business and I want to thank you for coming on the rental journal podcast. I appreciate it, Mark. It was, uh, it, was a, it was a good first podcast experience. Please share, follow, like the Rental Journal podcast and I'll see everyone in next week's episode.